me ask you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Many of you ask how our vacation was, and uh, we had a great vacation. Uh, a wonderful time, uh, family, and relaxing, and doing some uh, very enjoyable things. Now, as, as I think of that, though, I have to tell you that I learned something a number of years ago about vacation. And that is that uh, it's a good idea to lower your expectations about vacation before you go. Because who wants to come back from vacation feeling let down or, oh man, I, w- I-, I wish we'd done, I-, I wanted to do this and this and this and that and and come back and be looking back on vacation that way. And I've found that if you don't have big expectations going in, that it's always a pleasant surprise when you have all these uh, good times and good memories and so on. Now, there is a parallel here with the church. And that is that I also discovered a number of years ago that when people end up disappointed with me or the pastoral staff or uh, the elders or the church, it's usually because of their expectations they are placing. And more often than not, not always, But more often than not, they're not biblical expectations. They are just expectations. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't expect anything. (laughs) And I'm not saying, let's all just become mediocre, and then if anybody does anything good, it'll be a wonderful surprise for all of us. But put your expectations not on other people, but on yourself. I mean, obviously, we put expectations because of the Word of God. But Connie and I decided a long time ago that we would not expect any kind of certain treatment from the church. Now, for the the greatest majority of time, we've been treated wonderfully. But that's always a pleasant thing to us because we haven't placed some huge expectations there. Now, this will, this will come into focus later. You'll see why we're talking about this. We are in a series this summer using the one another passages. Thought it'd be a good time as we gathered together from our two services to one to enjoy and and to refocus on what the Bible says in terms of how we are to treat one another. The very first week, we talked about that metaphor, which is an extended metaphor for the church itself, and that is the body of Christ, Christ's body. And today... I want us to focus that even a little bit more. 
I want us to look at, at that metaphor and how we are to act as his body using particularly his hands. And looking at his life and seeing what his hands were doing because by extension, when he ascended into heaven and he left us and he said, now you are my body, you are the salt of the world, the light of the world. By extension, we are what he was when he was in this world. So we're going to look at what his hands were doing. I, I thought about subtitling, but I thought it'd be too cutesy, subtitling this putting uh, feet on his hands. But we're going to talk about the practical part of what we are to be and specifically looking at his hands. Let's read in Philippians 2. We can't just talk about doing. We've got to start with who we are who he is, and then go to what he did and what we are to do. In Philippians 2, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know if you can read that without saying amen. And then in Galatians 5, once again, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, through love, Serve one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, what a magnificent, incredible passage that is. It speaks of what Christ did throughout his ministry and continues to do and who he is and then challenges us. We look to you today, Lord, seeking to know 
how it is we are to use our hands to serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do we first see Jesus' hand? Well, I would suggest it was in Mary's hand. When we go into Advent, we we celebrate his birth. Why is that so important that we think in those terms? Because it shows us that he was fully human. I think, I think before you're a Christian, it's easier to see the human Jesus because you don't believe in the Jesus who is fully divine. But once we become a Christian, I think sometimes we can lose that other part, the fact that he uh, came to earth, he took on flesh just like us, and he, he still has it. He is still fully divine and fully human for us. And that is essential for us to grasp that he relates to us, he understands us, he's been through it. Now early in his life, we we see him as a baby, but then we don't hear anything until he's 12 years old. And there were some who had a, a problem with that. Said there's these big gaps in his life. So let's fill in some stories about Jesus, about what he did. And I'm sure they did it with good intention in the uh, what we call the apocryphal books and so on. One of them, for instance, said that um, Jesus uh, was out in the desert with Mary, and uh, he Mary said, "I'm thirsty," and so Jesus commanded the palm tree to bow down to give her some moisture for her to drink and quench her thirst. That didn't happen. You're looking at me like, I didn't know that happened. (laughs) That didn't happen. That's not why he did miracles. If you ever hear something for the first time from me, anyway. And then there's another one where uh, they said that he was out playing with the other children and he took some clay and he made them into doves and then made them fly away and all the children were amazed. Again, it did not happen. But they were trying to explain, you know, how does this, he's, he's, he's human but he's God and where'd these miracles come from? Well, his miracles he didn't do just to amaze people, just to, just to meet immediate needs. And so those things did not take place. But today, do picture a child. A child learning to walk, like your children, your grandchildren, and where you're holding their hand because... That's what Jesus did. That's where it began. And then fast forward through his life. We read in John 19, verse 26, when this is Jesus 
who is hanging on the cross. When Jesus saw his mother, that mother who had nursed him, who had taught him to walk and to play, who had taught him all those things and raised him, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. One of the seven last words, last phrases of Jesus from the cross, he took care of his mother and the only thing keeping him from in her moment of trauma from holding her hand was because his hands were nailed to the cross for her and for us. And so we see what his hands were doing, ours ought to as well. When I now go to see my mother who just turned 93. There's not much I can do for her anymore, really, physically. She's taken care of. And so it's come to that. She who held my hand and taught me, now it's me holding her hand, figuratively and literally. Where would Jesus' hands be? Here on this earth. Well, we saw also, secondly, that his hands were working hard. Mark 6, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Is not this the carpenter? Last week, the church we went to while we were on vacation... It was in uh, Charleston. I won't tell you anything more about it because I'm going to use it as an illustration later. But there was a big old picture in the front where our cross is. There was a big old picture of Jesus ascending. I think it was the ascension because he was off the ground. And it was kind of a medieval picture of Jesus where he had kind of the otherworldly look kind of effeminate features and girly hands. Now, there's nothing wrong with girly hands on girls. He was a carpenter. He had strong, working hands, probably even before the cross, scarred up hands the hands of a working man. No doubt with calluses. As we should have on ours from the Lord's work. Now, when we use our hands in in the Lord's work, calluses, I mean in the good sense. And and I got to tell you, if you... If you do the Lord's work, if you, if you serve Him, you're going to start out 
and your hands are going to get some blisters because they're going to go into some places that aren't all that comfortable and they may not be used to being in. And so you get blisters first and then, then they get strong. But also if you do the Lord's work, your hands are going to get a little scarred up too. But I'll tell you, when they do, you know this, you're in good company when your hands are scarred because so were Jesus, scarred for us with his hands. Thirdly, Jesus was touching the untouchable. When he came down, it says in Matthew Verse 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, you've heard about leprosy. How very contagious that was the lepers of that day had to when they were they had to leave their family never to be touched by their spouse or their mother or father or children again lest they contaminate them and so they lost that human touch and and when they would walk down the road they had to shout out unclean so people would not walk by them and and perchance brush up against them but would be able to cross over the road and not even come near them. That's the experience of the lepers of that day. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Nobody would do that. Be a fool to do that. Mother Teresa, who dealt with the poorest of the poor. Someone once said to her, I wouldn't do what you're doing for a million dollars. And she said, neither would I. She didn't, following Jesus. And what about today's untouchables? Well, we immediately think of something like AIDS or, or, or some disease like that. And yes, that's the case. But let's, let's take it to something that, that we will tend to face more often. Let's think about those that we might look at, not calling them untouchables, but not being willing, really, to touch them. Someone came up with this acrostic, um, YAVIS, which stands for Young, Attractive, Verbal, Intelligent, and Social. And they said, you know what, those are the kind of people that when they walk into a church, people love the YAVISes. You know, they, they walk in and the greeters are, hmm, 
we got we got to get them to meet our pastor, or you know, we'll get them to, you know here and there. And those those are the Yavises, and then there's the less touchable ones, maybe the elderly, the ones that that aren't maybe as verbal or young or attractive or maybe not so intelligent looking, or maybe not social at all. What happens when they walk in churches? God forbid that anyone would come into St. Andrews and feel like they were untouchable. And we hear all the time, from those who joined the church, how they were welcomed in. But every time I hear that, I'm thankful for it, and I know that that's who we are as a church. But it also makes me wonder about those who didn't go through the inquirer's class because maybe they came and weren't greeted as warmly. I don't think it happens often here. We, when we were on vacation last week, we walked into a church. Connie and I, two teenagers. And uh, we might not have been Yavises because we're not that young, but uh, I don't even know what the acrostic would be for us. But Connie had a Bible, and we were dressed appropriately for that group. And when we walked in, the church, it was very nice. As I walked towards it, I saw, oh, they got greeters out front with, with their worship guides, with their bulletins. And when we got up there, the two uh, ushers were having a conversation. And we walked by, and without looking at any of us in the eye, he said, welcome, and continued his conversation <laughs> as, as we took the worship guide and Thank you, thank you, and walked in, and we found our seat, and uh, I, you know, I wasn't offended. Look, um, I know how those things happen. And then we took our seat, and uh, we're sitting there a few minutes and doing what probably you visitors today did when you got here, and that is pouring over the worship guide because there's nothing else to do because everybody's talking to all their friends, and you're, you're feeling lonely in this place where everybody seems to have friends. And then a young lady came over and she said, hi, I'm Lori, and, and she introduced herself, and it was very nice. And, I, and, and when she found out we were just visiting in the area, she made a beeline away from us. No, she didn't. She didn't do that. <laughs> she was very nice, and she said, if you're in the area, I hope you'll come back and worship with us. And, and I said, thank you for greeting us. And then we had a very nice worship service, and then it was over, and we got up and left. Now... I know some people get up and they, they're quick because when I go down this aisle, sometimes there are people ahead of me. <laughs> That's okay. If you're visiting with us and you don't want to be greeted, I don't have any problem with that. I'm not going to run tackle you or anything like that. <laughs> so I understand that. But we didn't do that. We just kind of moseyed out, you know, kind of willing to be greeted, <laughs> and no, no one said a word. Now, look, it's a good church, but it just reminded me of how those things can happen. 
And I just want to remind you that we, that we are willing to touch those that, that come in in the most positive sense and welcome them, whether they're just like us or not. That doesn't matter. Uh, you know what? If God has led them here today, if God has led you here today, we're grateful for that. Um, <clears throat> Jesus' hands were also tenderly loving the children. Matthew 19. Then children, verse 13, were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for such, uh, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them and, and went away. Placing his hands on them means he blessed them. It's obvious Jesus had a special place in his heart for the children. And I want you to think about that. He, he wasn't too busy. He, there, nobody was ever busier than him. <laughs> really. I mean, but he took time for the, the children. And you know what? I want you to greet our children here too. Start learning our, the kids' names. Greet them by name. That means a lot to kids in the church, to our children. They were a priority for him. And I know every church, at least every one that I've ever been associated with, has had uh, the challenge of having enough volunteers to work with their children. We are blessed here. We have many. It takes a lot of people, a lot of people, to do the things we do here with our children. But I want to encourage you to think about that. Maybe your hands this summer should be working with our vacation Bible school. Maybe they used to. You say, well, my kids are all grown and all that. You know what? Those, those hands that, as my dad used to say, my hands are getting those old spots on them. You know, those hands with age spots, our children need, need those hands working with them as well. And I want to encourage you to, to pray about that and consider. Don't ever think I've put in my time. I've done enough vacation Bible schools. We'll let somebody else do it. This is our time. It's your time to, to do it again. And then his hands, Jesus' hands were in the dirty places. In John 13, it's a, a passage that is familiar in the sense that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. There, that included Peter, who would deny Jesus. It included Judas, who would betray him. And Jesus was washing their feet. He was doing something that none of the others would do. All they would do was argue about who would be greater in the kingdom, where they would get to, to sit. And so he knelt down and he put his hands in the dirty places for them to show them to show us that's where his hands were that's where ours ought to be this last week we had general assembly in nashville and we stayed a few blocks from uh, the convention center and uh, in a, a nice hotel and every morning would walk by a number of homeless people. 
Now, they weren't accosting us or anything. But you know how it is. It's uncomfortable. And you, you wonder, you got a little twinge of guilt, and then you think, it's, I can't give them money. It's not going to help them. They're, you know, they're, they're going to go drink it away or whatever. And, you know, I know all those arguments, but you still, you still feel that. And one morning we walked and we, we got breakfast and then we were going to the convention center and I looked over and I saw one laying there. It was about eight o'clock by then. He was still, or she, was still sleeping there under some kind of a cover. And as we walked toward that, I saw a young man coming the other way and he leaned down and I, I thought maybe he put some money in a cup or something like that because I saw him put something down. And so when we got to where, the, and, and he, he put it down and then he just walked on, didn't disturb the person or anything. And when I got there, I looked over and it was a, a small bag from Panera Bread Company and a little cup of ice water. Now that person, I don't know if that young man did that every day. It wasn't one of our, you know, the guys at General Assembly. It was somebody that worked in the air. I don't know if he did that every day, if that's the first time he ever did it. It didn't matter. What it made me think was, you know, have, have I quit trying to figure out what I can do for these people? You know, there was something very practical. It didn't hurt them. It helped. They would wake up and probably eat a little bagel or something and, and a, a cup of water and know somebody had left it there. It's having hands in dirty places. And that's where Jesus' hands were. When we had our fourth child, some ladies called up and they said, uh, we're going to come over and clean your house. Now, if you know Connie, you know she doesn't want anybody cleaning her house. They didn't say, may we come clean your house. They came and cleaned our house. They put their hands in the dirty places. And it was good. You know, we had, we've got some friends here from Atlanta today, and they'll, they'll know of Margaret Pierce. She was a, a lady that was in her 80s when she came to our church. Her son and family were in the church. And Margaret, she was beyond really doing much of anything physically, and her mind was quickly going. But every time, every time I saw her, she would say, Pastor, I just want to know, what I can do. I've, I've served God all my life and I just don't, I feel so bad. I don't know if there's anything I can do. And every time I would say, Margaret, it's your time to, to pray. You need to be praying and so on. And the next time she would come, it was the exact same, usually the same words. Pastor, I, you know, the very same way. But you know what? And, and I would know when I would see her coming, here comes Margaret. She's going to say, Pastor, I, you know, but I thought after her doing that a long time and then when I finally buried her, I thought, you know what, that's how I want people to know me though. When they see me coming, not that I'm going to be asking them to do something for me, but 
Odell's going to say, what can he do? What wonderful hands she had, like the hands of Jesus. And then we see that his hands were being pierced in our place. I already read to you from John 19 when he was on the cross. There it says they crucified him. Hands that touched the untouchable and loved and blessed the children had broken the bread were now pierced for us. And that's where the scars come. You know, I've thought about when Jesus appeared before Thomas. You know, we talk about him being in his glorified body and Thomas had said, unless I can put my hands in the nail print in his hands, put my fingers in there or thrust my hand in his side, I won't believe in him and so on. And one of the things I think sometimes we miss is this. We tend to talk about when I get my glorified body, I won't have all these flaws in my body, you know. I won't have this or that, and we tend to think about that. And, and yet, look at Jesus. He had scars, didn't he? Even in his glorified body. You know why? I'm convinced. Because it was perfect. It was in those scars that he had perfectly done the will of God. And I think he's still got them. That's my theory. They didn't heal up. I think he's got them because that is his perfection. He was pierced for our transgressions. And then we see his hands were lifted in prayer. Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, and they continue to be. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is praying for us. Hands uplifted. Same hands that always did what was best for those he loved. I hope your response to that is, well, I can do that. You know, our verse of the year, present your request to God. Make them known to God. We are his hands. Our hands should be uplifted in prayer as well. Back to the expectations. Sometimes we don't realize how much we need the body of Christ until we're in times of needs. And I told you, Connie and I made that determination. We weren't going to expect any certain kind of treatment from people. And that's helped us many times through the years. When I, when I hear other pastors complain that my church didn't do this for me or, or whatever because it gives us the opportunity to be pleasantly surprised. You might remember when I first came here, I told you the, the account of my heart attack. You know, one of, the, one of the lessons I learned was the beauty of the body of Christ. I had been life-flighted during the heart attack from where I was up to Piedmont Hospital. 
and they put a stent in. And so I was in the operating room and so on. It was rush hour, and so my family had to drive up. And uh, they were, Connie and some of the kids were waiting in the waiting room. But when they got done putting the stent in, I realized there was a room full of people with Connie, literally a room full. There were four other pastors and a bunch of people surrounding Connie and the kids. In fact, they, you know, they say, she said, there's a bunch of people out here. Can they see him? And so they said, well, okay, but don't get him excited. <laughs> okay? And so they rolled me out. <laughs> they rolled me out into the hallway, and I guess Connie had said, we can see him, but don't get him excited. And so what they did was they kind of filed by me, and I thought... This is like a visitation, I guess. <laughs> and one of the men even leaned down and kissed me on the forehead. <laughs> I assure you, he had never done that before or since. <laughs> but I saw those people, and it meant a lot to me that they were surrounding Connie. I got home a couple of days later and started getting the cards. I, I found out that by the time I was, it was a Wednesday, by the time I got to the hospital that, uh, you know, it was all over our email, of course, but it was going to others and there were prayer meetings and I, for months I heard from people literally, literally all over the world, Greece, from uh, uh, Chile, from England, uh, of people that were praying for me during that time. That's the, that's the body of Christ. And I got all these cards. And one, one of the little kids in the church was drawing a picture, and the, uh, his mom said, who's that a picture of? You know, she couldn't tell because it was just like two legs and a big old head and so on. And he said, that's Pastor Dale. I love him. And you know what? You, you couldn't give me a, a million dollars for that. That box full of cards. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And you might say, well, that, that's because you were the preacher. That's why they treated you that way. Well, you know what? If none of that had happened, God would have sustained us. He absolutely would have. But we were surprised because we refused to expect from other people. We expect from ourselves, but we refuse to expect from other people uh, what they should do for us. But when the hands of Christ do what they are called to do, it is a beautiful thing. May God enable us, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to use our hands in ways that he used them when he was here. Let's bow together.